0: This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. If you're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? We are finishing up our study of the book of Titus. Who who are we? We've been asking that question for a long time. And for those that are able to be with us week in and week out, we've answered it in many different biblical ways. But we've been looking at who we are as the church. I want to thank Wade and the choir for that. That That is a song that may not be rich, and deep theologically. It's kind of like I like to call comparing the book of Romans to the book of James. A lot of people in the early days when the Bible was being put together that James just didn't have enough theology in it. But James sure does preach good, doesn't it? Uh, That song preaches good uh, because it makes us think about life in the standpoint and it ties perfectly in with the message. We're either givers or takers. We're either giving the gospel away or we're taking joy and life out of people. And so as we get to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3 verses 9 and 15, we're coming to the close of the letter. And like often, even though the Bible was written by God, it was still written by God through Titus and a lot of times in letters we start the letter this is where we're going and then at the end of the letter it's kind of that this is what we need to do and so Titus is bringing the letter to a conclusion and in this last section of the letter he's reminding the church who we are and how we live amongst people a couple of weeks ago we looked at how we live in the world that we face well today he's looking at us and so this is one of these messages that you're either going to love your pastor even more or you're going to be mad when you leave here today. Amen? All right. So just say you love your pastor now. Pastor, we love you. All right. Because you're either a giver or a taker. There's no gray area here. I'm not going to draw a line in the sand and at the end of the service, you've got to pick a side. But God's Word is very clear. There are two types of people in the family. Divisive. Are faithful. One is building up, charging hell with a water pistol every day for the sake of the gospel. Some people just like to stay around and make everybody else miserable. And you know the sad part about it is I don't know your church background, but you know, you you may have already filled in the blank with people on both sides, haven't you already? And that's sad. We've been given such a great task from our Savior. We've been given a mandate to, to go and to make a difference in the world that we live in as we believe the gospel and as, as we share and live that gospel out. And our days are, are so precious. Why waste time not doing what God wants us to do? Why don't we take the time to just love Him and live for Him and love His church and to go make a difference? Titus is closing that letter, reminding us of that. Look, if you will, at chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, decisions, and quarrels, dissensions and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable, and a very strong language here, they are unprofitable, and they are literally unprofitable. Worthless. Verse 10 As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with them. Now that doesn't sound very Christian like, does it? Well, there's a reason. Knowing that such a person, notice the language here, they are warped and sinful. And self condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychius to you, when I send them, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. He's bringing the letter to a conclusion. Now remember, it's written to the church. Titus was appointing elders and leaders in the church. It would have been uh, the church and what was going on. And let our people, I love the way Paul says, our people, the, the body of Christ, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. What a great encouragement it is to know that you have given us the means to know you, to love you and live for you in this precious Bible. And Lord, as we think about the church and we think about our own individual life, let us remember you've placed a calling upon us for the sake of the church, but also, Lord, for the benefit and the glory of you in our lives as we live as the church. Open up our mind and stir our hearts. And This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look right there in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Sometimes we need to kind of go back and remember what's going on here. Why is this text important? Why is anything in Titus even matter? Why was it written? Well, go back to chapter 1, verse 1, in the middle of verse 1. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. Why does this matter? Why look internally in our church? Why is it a a big deal how we live as Christians in the church? For the sake of the church. For the sake of our faith. For the sake of our hope. For the sake of our sanctification. Titus penned these words through the Holy Spirit to the church and he said, Church, this is for you. Because of God's elect, for those that have called on the name of the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith, for the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you and for your knowledge of truth, which accords with this verse 2, for the hope of eternity. Why does this matter? Because of truth, because of our hope. Now look at chapter 3, verse 8. Right before we got into this section, this saying is trustworthy and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Why does this section matter? Why does verse 9 and through the end of verse 15, why does this matter? For our benefit for the sake of the Lord's church, but also there, so that we who believe may be careful to devote ourselves to good works. These are excellent and profitable for us. Think about it from this standpoint as we look into this text. Sometimes we hear the word of God and we'll fight against it. And we'll say, well, I just don't think that's important. I'm going to tell you how important God's Word is. It's important that we understand how many of us know people that are not believers right now, that, that we've got loved ones, that we are we are concerned about their eternal security, we're, we're concerned about their assurance, we're concerned about if they really know the Lord. Guess what would happen if we really became so concerned over them that we would begin to truly trust God's Word enough and we would live out God's Word in such a way that we would invite God to do something so supernatural in our midst that those people, people that we are concerned about could be gloriously saved. Have you ever thought about why God is not doing remarkable things in the body of Christ in all of our churches? Because we won't let Him. We won't believe His Word enough to let God do great things in our midst. For the sake of the church and for the sake of our life, let's believe His Word and cherish it, and not doubt it, and obey it. Verse 9, for the sake of His church and the sake of our life, so that we can make a difference as a body, what do we need to be about? How is it that we have relationships? What do our relationships look like within the body of Christ? Notice there at verse 9, it said that this is profitable for you. And, and, and as we read all of the books of the New Testament, there's always things going on that is attacking the gospel. There's always been an attack against the church, whether it's Gnosticism or Judaism or all the isms that are attacking the church. There was always going, since the birth of the church, this has been going on. And there's a remedy to stay focused and there's a remedy to truly be the church of Christ. Number one, look at verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Number one, we have to be people that avoid meaningless dialogue. Now, when we look at those words, now, I've gotten in trouble before. You can imagine how much trouble I get in on the ride home from church. When Sharon and I used to ride together, I got in trouble a lot, so I started riding by myself. And there are just certain things that Sharon would say, you cannot say that in the pulpit. She said, maybe in the fellowship hall, but never in the pulpit. One of those words one time was moron. And so I just got real excited one Sunday, and I started calling everybody a moron. So we got home, and I got out my Greek New Testament. I said, see, it's right here, moros. You know what that word foolish means? Moros. You know where we get moros? Moron. Avoid morons, okay? We laugh about that, don't we? Do you know what someone is that wants to talk about meaningless things apart from Scripture? A moron. The early church knew they had a task to go out and to make a difference if you think about the task that was given the early church and you think about what a what a task that the Holy Spirit has come upon the church and placed them right there and then said go out and share the gospel go out and make disciples to Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the end of the earth you think what an awesome task is that not an awesome task that the early church had guess what that's our task And literally until the day the Lord calls us home, that is our task. And so I think Titus is right on spot here at the church of Crete at this time. Paul knew what was going on when he wrote to Titus. Titus didn't write it. It was written to Titus. Paul wrote it. Avoid anything that has nothing to do with the gospel. Avoid anything that is not... Biblical. Now, you think about it for a second. All the things that we talk about in the realm of religion that has nothing to do with Scripture. I mean, nothing to do with Scripture. And we get so wrapped up in it and all these things and all this stuff. And, and, and I, it's kind of like I make fun of things and I probably don't need to do it because some people understand what I mean by that. But if you're visiting with us for the first time, you think, what did he mean by that? I'll give you a great example. And I'm not making fun of it, but it, here it is. Several years ago, a lady came to me at church. and said, oh, Pastor, I've read the best book on heaven in the world. I've just been so enlightened about heaven. Well, I thought she meant the Bible. I read this book about 90 minutes in heaven. It's changed my life. I now know what heaven's like. And I went, okay, that's, that's, that doesn't care. No, 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 no. Bible doesn't say we get to go to heaven and check it out and come back. It sounds good though doesn't it? I mean I did I, I've had visions before I got up to heaven and it was it was a, actually there are bulldogs in heaven, okay I saw that and it sounds good and I, I saw Paul Paul and mama there and I feel so you know and it's just and I know that's a silly way but I mean just we get so wrapped up in this stuff. And I heard a preacher say one time about that book, everything God wants us to know about heaven exactly is in the Bible. And that's all I need to know. You know somebody asked me the other day, uh, I was listening to a, a Q&A session by John MacArthur. John MacArthur is one of my faves. And, and uh, I was just riding down the road from Georgia and it was Q&A, live Q&A. Now, Matt and I don't do live Q&A. We might one day, but I doubt it. But this was live Q&A. Are animals in heaven. He said, yes, there's one animal in heaven. This is what Lawler does on Tuesday Bible study. At the end of the service, I'll tell you, if you can guess it, I'll give you $3. There's one animal in heaven. Guess what it is? A white horse. You don't get it, do you? What's Jesus coming back on? That's it. Now, he he laughed when he said that. I thought it was funny. When you think about all the things that we get wrapped up in, and even in church, we get wrapped up on foolish, foolish, foolish. What about the world we live in? God is okay with these relationships because God is a loving God and God is is kind and sweet and loving and and everything God does is, is right. And because this person believes that that is right, God is okay with that. Avoid foolish talk. Why is that foolish? Because it's not biblical. God wants me to be happy, so I'm not supposed to love my wife anymore, and I'm going to have an affair. Okay, that's not biblical. That's foolish. Another example. True story. Church leader said this to me. I don't agree with a word you're saying, and I don't want to do it, and I probably won't do it. But it is biblical. That came out of his mouth. Everything you're asking me to do as a church leader, everything you're asking us to do as a church, I don't want to do it, I don't agree with it, and I probably won't do it, but it is in the Bible. Foolishness. And here's the thing about it, we don't have time for foolishness. If you look at the world that we live in, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to be hung up with foolishness and and debating and arguing over things that God has already said. Now, are there things that Scripture does not allude to? Sure there are. Are there things that Scripture doesn't explicitly teach about certain things? Sure there is. We're not worried about that. What we believe is what God's Word has said. If God says it, we believe it. If God says something is right, it is right. If God has it in the Word, it's in the Word. If God says it is wrong, it's wrong. Why are we debating these things. People love to talk and think and and people say but but this is what I think and I always say this when you think about teaching the Bible. We need to be careful how we say things because we can be in a small group and say something like this but what do you think that means? And a lot of times what we're asking is what do you think that means biblically? But if we're not careful we might say we're all going to read this verse. What does it mean to you? Well, we might get ten different things that verse means. Well, the worst thing we could say is, well, if it means that to you, that's what it means to you. No, that's crazy. It means one thing. I mean, the Bible doesn't mean a hundred different things. It means one thing. A truth is a truth. Uh, two plus two equals four. If I go around a room in a math class, what is two plus two equal to you? Four. What is two plus two equal to you? Five. What is two plus two equal to you? Six. Okay, well, if it means that to you, then you, you carry that with you the rest of your life and you tell all the teachers in math that that's, that's chaos, that's, that's confusion, that is moronic. Avoid those things. We can rest in the fact that we don't have to get caught up in foolish, meaningless conversations. We, we see this morning and say, well, Pastor, my goodness, I don't want to fall prey to that. We don't have to pray to that. We can rest in God's Word. What does God's Word say? Do we believe it? Are we reading it? Are we studying it? Do we understand it? As we face life, animals. I don't know. if I mean, you know, there's a side of me that says, I don't, I don't really care if animals are in heaven or not. But then I think, well, I don't think an animal, I'm being silly, but I don't think an animal can go to heaven because an animal can't repent and place its faith in Jesus Christ, can it? Now, I just made everybody real sad, didn't I? I'm going to be mad if I get to heaven. All Emily's cats are there, I can tell you that. And so there may be things that just doesn't matter. And here, here's something silly, and I know a lot of things kind of silly get us thinking. When we get to heaven, we're not going to care. For all of those that are pouting because your chihuahua's not here, you've got a long little spot in heaven. No, we won't care. All these things we won't care about. All the things that we debate about, we're not going to be debating about anymore. So let's stop wasting time this side of heaven. I've had some theological discussions with people. I, 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 you know, here's a good one. I'm Baptist. I, I've been in a, a Baptist church setting before in a new member class, and I said, we're Baptist. We believe that once they all, I don't believe it. That's kind of weird in a new member class. Well, well, that's what we believe. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you're not going to be happy here. <laughs> Why? Because I believe God's Word teaches that. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter what you think. God's word clearly teaches to me, and most of us understand that, that we, you know, that's a great example. That I just don't have time for it. We should believe what we believe, not because it's some something we just believe. We believe what we believe. And I tell people this I'm not Baptist because it just worked out for me. It's not that I wanted to be Methodist, but I couldn't find a job, and so Baptist took me. I literally am a Baptist pastor because I've studied the Word of God, and I believe what Baptists historically believe is what Scripture historically teaches. And so, even theological arguments we get into, people can get so bent out of shape over stuff. And even our church has kind of gone through that. And the sad part about it is a lot of debates and arguing that Scripture was not the main issue; it's just our own personal understanding. Well, God would never do that. God did do that. Oh, we just. But what does Scripture say? And anything apart from that is just foolish. And in a positive way, we just don't have time for that. I mean, I look at it from my standpoint. I don't have time for foolish debates and arguments and silliness because I have a church to pastor. I have a wife to love. I have people that I want to pour my life into. The key to avoiding the foolish is to know the truth. You know, it's like Super Bowl. You know, there's a Super Bowl going on today. I'm going to pick on some of y'all. I'm going to pick on you. I'm not going to make eye contact with you. Several people have said, why are we doing something special on Super Bowl night? Sunday night church is not special. We do it every Sunday night. We're just having special people come be with us. We do that every Sunday night. But I love this. The Falcons are in the Super Bowl. We're going to rise up. And I told Sharon, I said, honey, all I want to see is the first, I'm going to record it. I I mean, for two weeks, we've been hearing what's going to happen in that game. That's foolish, moronic talk. We don't have a clue what's going to happen in that game, do we? And we just talk and we're emphatic and we talk and Brady's going to have a bad game and Ryan's going to have a great game and this is the year the Bulldogs beat the Gators and we're just on and on. We do, that's foolish. We don't know. So I'm going to watch the first five minutes to get my nachos going and then it's game time. We need to stop wasting time with the foolish. Now, please don't become judgmental, and when somebody comes up and talks to you, you go, moron alert. (laughs) Pastor, we have the moron questions over here. No, no, no. Just avoid the foolish. We've got too much we need to be about. We have too many people hurting without Christ. Christ. We have too many Christians that need to be in the fellowship of the church. We have so much more that we need to be about that we don't have time for the foolish. Avoid it. It's unprofitable. It is worthless. It's unprofitable and worthless because it's not based on the Word of God. It's not profitable because it gets us off our mission whether it's a theological argument or a theological truth you're questioning, whether it's some meaningless thing. And a lot of times there's something that I may even believe and think is right, but the more I study the Word, I realize I was wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But as we grow in the Word, the Word becomes our source of truth, not our heart, not our feelings, not popular opinion, not the stuff that is out there. It's worthless, and we don't have time for that. Even if you think of our nation, do we have time for that? Man, I, wanna, I mean, I don't even want to, I mean, I like, I want to watch the news to be informed, but I don't even know where to watch it anymore. You know, you, every time you turn on the news, you're like I just, I can't, I don't know, this is going to be the long, it's going to be, can you imagine this for the next four to eight years? I mean, it's terrible. Our nation's going to. Hades in a handbasket and we're worried about the foolishness. It's just get down to leading our country in honor and the fear of the Lord, okay? As a church, let's wit worry about the foolish and the silliness and the stuff that doesn't matter as churches and let's get busy about growing in the Lord, reaching people for Christ and discipling one another in the faith. That's what we need to be about because we don't have time. And foolishness takes away of that time. Look at verse 10 and 11. Paul's kind of getting young Titus and saying, to Titus, I'm telling you, this isn't popular, Titus, but I'm telling you this is what you got to do. As for a person that stirs up division, now here's a person that understands right and wrong. And they're intentional about stirring things up. You can't, you can't candy coat that any more than it is. For a person that stirs up division, this is a person that says, you know, I hear you. I understand you. I'm part of you. But I don't care. For for anyone that stirs up division, that gets us off course, that denies who we are as a people of God and the Word of God, and the a a person that intentionally does these things, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Whoa, that's harsh. How many of y'all seen that in Scripture before? Warn him once, warn him twice. Have nothing to do with him. Why? Because that person is warped. He is sinful. And they are self-condemned. We avoid meaningless dialogue. We reject divisive people. Now that, that, even, that even goes against the grain of a church. When we think about church, doesn't it? We're going to reject people? You have to understand why. This church is the temple of God, right? When you look consistently in Scripture, how much unholiness does God allow in His presence? None. Remember, and I always get the the, the verses mixed up. I always tell people, I have read the Bible through a couple of times, but I don't have it quite all memorized. But remember when they're moving the temple back with David, they're moving the temple that had been gone over here so they're moving it back and we, we what do we not do with the, not the temple the ark? What do you not do to the ark? Touch it. So they're moving the ark, remember the story? Da 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 da, da. one of the ushers, deacons, staff members, pastors, lets it kind of tilt and it goes to fall. What did the good what, guess what the good obedient faithful worker of the temple do? I'll get it. What did he do to the ark? He touched it. What happened to him? He died on the spot. Because God is that holy. Look at you will. Keep your spot there. Let's look at Acts chapter 5 real quick. Early church stuff going on here. Church is just getting started. Spirits come upon them. Ananias and Sapphira have sold some property. They're in the first church building campaign. People are giving everything they have for the sake of the gospel. They're not holding back their tithes and offering. They're not cheating God. They're not robbing God. They're not punishing themselves. They're faithfully giving to the church. The church is growing. Things are going great. Ananias and Sapphira decided, hey, let's sell this piece of property and we'll act like we'll give it to the church but we won't tell anybody. It'll be our secret. Ananias goes into the church. Peter, here's our contribution. We sold some property, laid the offering at the feet of the apostles. What happened to him? He died because he was deceiving God. Sapphira's wondering what's taking Ananias so long to get back. She said, well, I better take my offering. I've got the afternoon offering. She walks in there and lays an unworthy offering at the Lord. And guess what happened to Sapphira? She died. So you could say, well, that, that touching of the ark was Old Covenant. You're right. Ananias and Sapphira is New Covenant. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you know some of y'all scrambling now for your checkbook and trying to catch an usher before they take the money to the bank. Why did God take Ananias and Sapphira and allow so many of us that are unfaithful at times to live? I have no idea. Rejoice in God's patience is what I would say. But here's the lesson: He's still holy, and this is still His church. Look at Matthew chapter 18. And sometimes you hear people say this, and, and this is, and again, I'm going to have fun with this for the next few weeks until I get in time out when I get home. Some of these discussions I've been involved with, moronic conversations, And it'll be something like that. Well, I know, but, you know, I'm just going to do what Jesus tells me to do. Well, okay, I'm, I'm all in. We don't rip the rest of the Bible out, though. And the idea is, well, Paul said that. Think about that for a second. Only Jesus counts in the Bible. So Titus doesn't count because Jesus didn't say it. That's going to get sideways very quick, by the way. I always say this, from the table of contents to the maps is inspired, okay? The words in red, the words in black. So for those that think Paul doesn't count, Jesus in Matthew eighteen fifteen: If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the what? Who said this? Jesus. Whose church is this? Jesus. Now, what? If they've sinned against you, we're, we're not talking about preacher. I need to come tell you, Sabrina did something this week. Well, then Sabrina's gonna say, "Yeah, but I saw you, Pastor. You did." We're not talking about we're not talking about people that can't live a perfect life. All of us would not be here if it's about perfection. This is about. Blatant disregard to what Scripture says is yes, Scripture says is no. This is woeful, sinful activity. This is divisive activity. This is things that cannot be tolerated in the presence of the Lord. We can't turn our back to it. We can't close our eyes to it. The Bible says that we need to avoid it, and the Bible says that we need to reject it. Jesus said, you tell it to the church, the assembly, the body. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever has already been declared is declared. Whatever is right is right. And whatever God has decreed, so be it. And one of the most misinterpreted verses in the history of Christianity follows. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How many times have we read that at prayer meeting, and that has nothing to do with prayer meeting? Well, two or three agree. We can pray. You know what that means? Where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, and they are helping a wayward believer, Jesus says, I am right there in your midst. I think about my life, and I'm going to get off a little bit here. I think about my life. Do you know what a difference could have been made in my life if two deacons would have come to my house as a wayward 20-year-old and said, Brother John, you live in a small town. I live in a a small town then. If if two men of that church would have come to me and said, one one man comes to me and said, Brother John, we live in a small town. I love you so much, I'm not going to let you leave this church. I'm not going to let you start running around and drinking and acting like a crazy person. Well, I don't want anything. You to just to go, ah. And then the next night, what if two men would have come to me and said, Brother John, we have taught you in Sunday school. We have taught you in our age. We saw you be baptized. We love you. We love your family. We are not going to allow you to go down this road. I don't want anything to do with it. What if I would have had a church? Now, listen to this. This is, this is radical. What if I had a church that says, Brother Pastor, we've talked to John many times. Several of us, we have prayed for him. He is not repenting. He is heading down a road that's going to lead to destruction and despair. Could you imagine what would have happened if the pastor would have reached out to me and said, Brother John, if you don't turn your life around, we're going to have to ask you to leave our church membership. I can tell you what would have happened it would have ripped my heart out because I was a born-again, believed child of God. If I wasn't born again, it wouldn't have mattered. Isn't that radical? I mean, we, can't, we don't even know how to process that this morning, do we? Instead of, now Brother John's on the roll, and we don't need to do anything. They might come back. If we say anything, he'll never come to church. Listen, bless God, I want somebody to love me enough to tell me what I'm doing is wrong. One of my favorite friends in ministry, he's really, he's one of my favorite friends because he's a Navy SEAL. Can you imagine being a Navy SEAL in the Persian Gulf War and trying to pastor a church? Didn't go well. This is what we're going to do. Bless God, this is what we're going to do. it, I'll kill everyone of you. He finally went back to church and got his Ph.D. And he teaches now. He just couldn't handle it. Ah! Glad he was. This is what happened to him. That happened to him. And he turned his back on the thing to the Lord. And you know what happened? I would never do this. And Matt, if you ever do it, we're probably going to fire you. We will fire you. (laughs) The youth pastor saw him out on town and jacked him up in a store up against a wall. And said, you're not going to do that to my ministry. I am your youth pastor. I led you to Christ. If you don't straighten up right now, I'm going to whip you right here in this store. Had a pack of beer in his hand. You know what he did? He repented and got back in church that next week. Pastors got somebody on aisle eight at Walmart whooping him again. (laughs) Oh, we'll have deacons posted at Walmart keeping everybody in line. It's so radical, but think about that. If, if there, I think about being a young man and looking at the men that helped me grow in the faith as a young child, just to know they cared enough for me would have made a difference. I might have got mad, but a child of God, it would have convicted me. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to meet tonight and go through the role and we're going to start having some meetings, but I'm telling you, we need to start thinking this way. It's going to get harder and harder and harder to stand on truth. And if we don't follow the Lord's teaching, we're going to cease to be a church in a couple of generations. Because we're just going to tolerate everything. Turn back to Titus. I told you, you're either going to love me more or love me less. I love hanging out with older people. I cannot wait to really get old. I'm going to be the guy. I always tell Judy, Judy's probably going to live a lot longer than me even though she's older than me. I'm going to be in a nursing home somewhere, and they're going to have to beg people to come visit me because I'm just going to talk and talk and talk and talk, tell all my stories. But I love talking to older folks that have done church a long time. I always use an example because it's the latest from Wendell. Got church minutes from churches. Have you ever read church minute? A long time ago, things didn't happen in church the way they do now. We didn't. We didn't have. an you know Let me tell you what an inactive membership is. It's a membership of people that don't want to stand on the word of God. An inactive membership says this: We don't know where they are. We don't care. An inactive member is somebody that we, that's supposed to be here but they're not here and we don't know anything about them and we're afraid if we say anything they may get mad so we're just going to leave them out there to their self. Have you ever tried to live the Christian life by yourself when you're living in sin? Could you imagine what would happen if we knew where all our church members were and we lovingly loved on them? Could you imagine going to a family reunion and somebody not show up and somebody go, where are they at? I don't know. I had not seen them in 30 years. Does anybody care enough to ask where they are? Well, no, we don't want to find out. We've moved them to inactive family. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, how can you have an inactive family member? How can we have a, an inactive church member? And we sit there and we're so excited. Oh, we, maybe, maybe if we say, if we do, if we love them enough, we would have never let them been inactive for 20 years. So here's the thing I got so bent out of shape about this week. The older generation, as always happens, the older generation says they can't stand the way churches change, right? Some places. This took place under your watch. Have you ever thought about that? When I worked for Nam, I would travel the land and people would say, I literally did, travel the land talking to people about church and you would go to churches that were just, there were like a handful of people barely paying the light bills and they're sitting there and they're saying, well, church isn't the way it used to be. It happened under your watch. We got away from loving people enough that we are concerned about them. I did a revival. I spoke at a church one time, and there was a man sitting over to the right. I'll never forget it. And the whole time I was preaching, the Spirit was just burdening me about his life. And it was almost like a a countenance of just unrest over him. And I I talked to the pastor after. I said, what in the world is going on with that man sitting on the back corner? He goes, oh, my goodness. He's a deacon at the church. He's having multiple affairs in the community. He's a business." Owner, his family's been here forever. He and his wife have split up. He's got women scattered all over the community, and nobody will say a word to him. I said, You want me to say something to him? Because I'm leaving Wednesday. I'll say something to him. Can you imagine asking the Lord to bless our gathering? We're having a revival meeting. Think about this. Lord, we're having a revival meeting, but Billy Bob is an adulterer in our small community. Everybody knows it. Nobody's going to say anything, but bless us this week. I didn't even want to give an invitation the next week. I said, you might as well just you know, sing out of the hymn book and take up an offer and go to the house because God's not going to bless that. Isn't that crazy? Just say that out loud. Does that that's just crazy? But we've allowed it to happen. The families, what they used to be, is not what they used to be. Churches, we always talk about well, the family's not what it used to be. The church is not what it it happened under our watch. Could you imagine right now, think of everybody we know that is not part of our church. Where are they? Do we love them enough to care? Could you imagine if we did have something in place where somebody was a church member and if we haven't seen them in a small group or a service and let's say a couple of months that we've got something in place that we say, hey, you think maybe we ought to go check on them? Wouldn't that be a great idea? Maybe they need a little nudge that they're getting a little wayward. Maybe we can, we can be that little nudge, maybe we can be a barnabas in their life. Why do we even talk about these things? We avoid the meaning, we reject the device of why do we say these? Because we love the church enough. Could you imagine? I think about our youth right now. Our youth, and you know, we we talked about this a little bit on, on the men's conference this weekend. If not for yourself, for your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. Could you imagine raising up a generation in churches across our land that says we believe the Bible is the Word of God and we love people and we care for people and we're going to encourage people and we don't want people to fall into sin and we're going to call sin, sin and we're going to live a life of grace and truth and we're going to love people and we're going to do everything we can to keep the purity and the unity of the church at stake. Can you imagine what that generation behind us is going to look like? But what we have done in the Southern Baptist Convention notoriously is we've got this huge huge inactive role and all these people that are saved and all these people that are going to heaven and there's no spiritual growth, no spiritual dynamics, nothing going on in their life and we say it's okay. We're telling our children it's okay to live the way you want to live. Church doesn't matter. Christ doesn't matter. The word doesn't matter and we're doing that every day when we gather as a church. Isn't that heartbreaking? Avoid it. Reject it. But here's the good news. Because this is the Lord's church. Notice what it says in verse 12. Follow the faithful. Stay away from the foolish. Avoid the foolish. Reject the divisive. You know, I've said this in different settings. I, I never can remember where I say it. You know how hard it is as a pastor to look somebody in the eyes and say, Brother, what you're doing is not right but because the Lord has asked me to lead his church and what you're doing is not right. If you don't stop, I'm going to ask you to step down. Here's a Sunday school teacher. You know How hard do you think that is for me? That is the most difficult thing. I've had to probably do it about four or five times. Do you know how difficult it is to do that? It is very difficult. But how difficult is it to sit in your study and go over a prayer list? and work on Bible study and Bible lessons when you know that there's something in your church that you're afraid to deal with. It's very difficult. But God will always bless it. And here's the good news, though. When I send Artinomus and Tychus and these names, Apollos and Zenos, We do avoid the meaningless and we reject the vice of people. We're concerned about our church. We're concerned about the things that are going on. But third, follow the faithful. You know, I look around our church. I I tell you a conversation. I I know I say too much. If you ever tell me anything in secret, I promise not to say it from the pulpit. But I was out of town and and Jack Collins is in the hospital. And I, I, I called Jack and I was just like, Brother Jack, you know, I've been out of town. and I'm just checking you on your old brother John. I mean, like for like 10 minutes, I'm talking to him going, why can't I, Why can't everybody be like him? Oh, I'm doing fine, brother. Tell everybody how much I love them. And oh, you've had so many, so many of them old young men at the church have come by and I just love my church. And, my, and I'm telling you, if I could be there, I'd be there. Oh, I just love my church. And I'd like follow faithful men. We can look around in here, and, and somebody says, "You want well, who do we follow? You follow those people that love Jesus and love His church and love living the gospel out. You follow those people. I think back to the men that God put in my life, and they've been an encouragement. They don't even know they've been an encouragement. Somebody asked me the other day, why you like Johnny Hunt so much? He took one afternoon and gave me about three hours. He didn't have to do that. He gave me about three hours and poured his life into me. He took the time. Can you imagine how aggravating I would have been to want to talk to him that night? He probably saw me and went, Oh, dear Lord Jesus, all I want to do is eat. I don't want to have to talk to this crazy young pastor. He said, Get in the car. I want to take you to go eat. Let me tell you what's going on in my life. I was just like, Oh, gosh. Sharon was asleep back in the room. Guess what he said? Guess what he said? Guess what he said? Okay, honey, go to bed. Okay. He's just a man. I know, but he's a good man. Follow faithful men and women. Look at their lives. And You think about this. Men, I don't know. where Men, you've got people following you and you don't even know it. Follow faithful men. Listen to them. Learn from them. Serve with them. Older men, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to begin to realize you may not get around like you used to. You may not be able to do the things you need to do. I want you to find a young man that you can begin to invest in. The Christian life is just not about us. It's about others. Find a youth. Find a middle schooler. If you enjoy doing visits, ask somebody to go with you. If you serve in a church, you know, ask somebody to do it with you. Ladies, find a lady you can pour your life into. Find these people and follow them and model them. Find a hero of the faith and just love them. Follow faithful people. And then last, verses 14 and 15, maintain good works. Let me refresh. This is what's at stake. The effectiveness of our church, the benefit of our Christian life and our productiveness and the glory of God. So let's just say where we are today, First Baptist Avon Park, avoid foolishness. If it's not biblical, if it's not scriptural, if it's not something to pertain to the things of the faith and the word of God, we're not going to have anything to do with it. We're going to avoid it because it's foolishness. We're going to reject anything that can harm us. We're going to reject anything that's unbiblical. We're going to reject anything that could cause division in our church. We're going to reject anything that would that would not represent the holiness and the righteousness of God. And we're going to follow the faithful. And we're going to pour our lives into one another. And we're going to invest in one another. And we're going to pass the torch from generation to generation to generation. And each and every one of us need to have an idea. We're going to maintain good works and let the people learn you know what I like about being a pastor I'm still learning as a Christian I'm still learning I never grow I never get it all figured out I, I mean every time I read the bible I've even got different bibles I've read through in my quiet time why so I can make new marks in it I'm still learning I'm still eager to learn I still enjoy hearing preaching. I still enjoy singing songs of the faith. I still enjoy coming to church. I, you know, I, I worked for Nam. I didn't have to go to church. It was below negative eighteen thousand zero. Guess what I did? I went to church. Why would you do that? Because I'm still learning. The church that I attended was being led by a worship pastor. Not that worship pastors can't be preachers, but he was a worship pastor and he probably was a worship pastor. And so I could sit there and think, well, I, I wish he'd just let me preach this Sunday. Is that what I thought? A little bit. And then I thought this, no, you're going to sit up under this man of God as he preaches the word of God and you're going to learn every Sunday. Some of us have stopped learning. And even resisting it. We're not there yet. When we get there, we'll know we're there and you won't be here. Learn. Never stop learning. Learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need and not be fruitful. We learn. We devote. We're devoted to good work so that we can encourage and live out to others. Do you know how many needs we have around here? And you just think about the spiritual need. Think back to how many, don't say it out loud, how many John Becks do we have in this church family right now that you know they need to be in church and they're in their 20s and 30s and you know they're headed down a wrong road and you know where that road's going to end. How many of those do we have in our midst? How many of us men would be willing to say, you know what, I'm not, it's not going to happen on my watch. It is not going to happen on my watch, Pastor. I got this. How many folks do we know are going through grieving and, and, and they're hurting because things have happened in their life. We're not going to let it happen on our watch. We have something to give until the day God calls us home. You may be homebound. You can still call a phone. You may be homebound. You can still write. There's so Every one of us have something to do. I know we're busy. I know we have jobs, but notice what the word says. We learn to devote ourselves to good works as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. The church is a special place because it's the Lord's, He's given us the grace. And the truth of the gospels that we may be saved. And he puts us together. Not for us. That's what we've gotten off mission. This is not about us. It's too much talk in church about us. I I, I tell you a little, little story. I meant to share this earlier. I had a couple one time I met. Young Christian. Young Christian. Teaching Sunday school, Sharon and I. And we managed to a couple, and somehow another giving came up. I don't even know what we were talking about. And the wife said, "This, well, you know, we don't give here." That's the way she said it. We don't give here. Young Christian, well, been a Christian, young, married, growing in the faith. I went, "What did she mean by that? Is that some like church program from Lifeway? We don't give here." Well, Brother Jack didn't go visit my mother in the hospital, so we started giving to another church. And I was like, Dear Lord Jesus, you teach Sunday school? What do you think that did to a young Christian? Well, it taught a young Christian, praise God, I was stronger in the faith than she was. It could teach a young Christian, if something at church happens you don't like, just quit giving. If something in the church happens you don't like, just don't do anything about it. I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, praise God. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be right beside him when you explain that to him. That is moronic. And we do these things and we want to know why there's nobody coming forward on Sunday morning. And we do these things, and we want to know why people aren't getting saved in America. We do these things, we want to know why the world is winning. We do these things, we want to know why the church isn't the church, so we blame the pastor, we blame the associate pastor, we blame the worship leader, and we try to get new pastors, we try to get new programs, we try to get new stuff, and all along it's us. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, my heart is not pure all the time. Is that a shock? Some of you may lift me up a little too high. Some of you new people. Sometimes when people first join the church, you're the best pastor I've known in my life. Well, that'll change. (laughs) Some some of y'all hold your pastor up too high. I don't walk on water. I am John the Baptist. You know what I have to pray for every day? My heart. Every day... I need to be a man, just like I'm challenging you do, to live out these principles. This isn't a message to you. This is a message to me. Love God enough to love His church enough, to stand on His word enough, that we'll do whatever we can do to please Him and, and encourage other people. We need to get away from foolishness. We need to get away from these things and focus on what God is asking us to do. We are so worried about the friends things. We just we have no regard for what really matters. What really matters is people's souls. What really matters is biblical families. What really matters is people in our community seeing the gospel through a church. Well that's the furthest of what consumes us today. I love, I can't wait to meet Paul in heaven. Well, he laid it out this last little, I mean, this is all in one letter. He was getting on to them. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then he closes with this Grace to you. What does it take? Grace. It takes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for us to wrap our arms around how much God loves us and his church. Do you love him enough this morning to say to him, I surrender my all and I will follow you and your word. I surrender your all that I love this church enough that I will follow you. I surrender all that I love this community enough that I'll follow you. You know what's going to happen when the church does that? We're going to see God do things he hasn't done in a long time in our church, in our city, in our nation. God's done everything he needs to do. He's given us the spirit of God, the word of God, the people of God. What is lacking is our obedience.